it's Ellen and today we're going to be talking about the radicalisation of anti-Semitic policy in Germany, um, particularly from the years 1938 onwards. So an example was established um, by the Austrian authorities following Anschluss, which happened in March 1938. And as you remember from our episode about the Treaty of Versailles, this was actually um, forbidden um, under the Treaty of Versailles. So the Austrian authorities um, forced the Jews to surrender their property, both movable and immovable, um, in March 1938. And as a consequence, 45,000 Jews emigrated from the country. In April 1938, all Jewish property worth over 5,000 Reichsmarks had to be registered. Austria, therefore, had shown how profitable taking Jewish property could be. And this was an important lesson learned from their Jewish uh, than their German counterparts. Jewish doctors, lawyers and dentists could no longer have Aryan patients. Furthermore, Jews had to add Sarah for women or Israel for men to their names and have J stamped on their ID cards. Another way the authorities derived economic benefits was from taxing Jewish religious associations. Furthermore, they also restricted Jewish business activities. So the Austrian example demonstrated how much could be gained from the Aryanization of Jewish property. Alongside this, it also showed that the majority of the population did nothing to resist the anti-Semitic measures. Next, let's talk about Reichskristallnacht, which happened in 1938. And this is a really critical turning point in um, German policy towards Jews because it was the first time they were openly violent, which indicates an escalation in anti-Semitic policies. So what happened in Kristallnacht? On the 9th and 10th of November, there were supposedly spontaneous uprisings of Germans against Jews. And this was following the assassination of a German by a Jew in Paris. The homes of Jews and over 7,500 businesses and 267 synagogues were attacked. Alongside this, 91 Jews were murdered across Germany, with hundreds of women being raped. Furthermore, over 20,000 Jews were arrested and sent to camps. It's clear that Heydrich ordered synagogue records to be seized. And what were the consequences of Kristallnacht? The government blamed the Jews for Kristallnacht and charged the community 1 billion Reichsmarks for the damage. Following this event, more anti-Jewish decrees excluded Jews from economic activities, for example, trading, businesses or having government contracts. Decrees also banned Jews from schools, universities, cinemas and sports. So in just recapping those stats there for Kristallnacht, 20,000 Jews were arrested, 91 were killed, over 7,500 businesses were attacked and 267 synagogues were attacked. A key method that Germans used to get rid of Jews from Germany um, was emigration. So, however, there were also some Jews who wanted to escape by emigration. So we have a voluntary branch and we have a compulsory branch of this. So firstly, let's cover emigrating by choice. Since the Nazis came to power in 1933, Jews had begun to emigrate from Germany. For example, 33,000 had left in 1933. As Nazis' anti-Semitic policy developed, more Jews chose to leave. By November 1938, 150,000 Jews had left. Some Jews, known as Zionists, went to Palestine. This was encouraged and actively supported by the Nazis. For example, Adolf Eichmann was in charge of the resettlement unit in the SS. However, many Jews, particularly members of the older generations, refused to leave Germany, as that was their homeland. 
After Kristallnacht, many German Jews did not feel safe in their home country, and thus emigration increased. In particular, parents sent their children to safety in Western Europe. Alongside voluntary leaving Germany, there were Nazi-controlled emigration schemes. Emigration enabled the Nazis to seize Jewish assets, and this brought economic benefits to the Nazis. In 1938, the Nazis established the Central Office for Jewish Emigration, and following Anschluss, 45,000 Austrian Jews were compelled to emigrate by the Nazis. So just recapping the numbers of Jews who emigrated, by 1933, the total was 33,000. And emigration escalated following Kristallnacht because many did not feel safe in Germany. Um, in particular, parents also sent their children to safety in Western Europe. So what happened to the Jewish community following the invasion of Poland in 1939? The Nazis used World War II to radicalise their anti-Semitic policy. Following the invasion of Poland by Germany and the USSR, Poland was split into three parts. The East was controlled by the USSR. The West was controlled by Germany, and the centre was controlled by the general government. Following the invasion of Poland, the Nazis had lots more Jews under their control. Um, the Nazis wanted to push all the Jews into the area controlled by the general government. And it's noted that conditions in this area were terrible, as most Jews lived in ghettos. The general government could not cope with the thousands of Jews being sent to them, and this would lead them to pressure the Nazis to kill off the Jews. The idea was floated of resettling all Jews to Madagascar, and the idea came from France. The Nazis hoped that four million Jews could be sent to Madagascar, and it was hoped that Jews would be out of the way and eventually would die off. Eichmann had tried to formulate this plan, however it soon became apparent it would not be feasible, especially because the British Navy could block the route. Following the failure of the Madagascar initiative, Siberia is proposed as an alternative destination for forced emigration. This option, however, depended on Germany conquering the USSR. It is clear that the Nazi policy towards the Jews was strongly determined by war conditions, and the attitude to the Jews and what to be done with them evolved over time. And this demonstrates that the final solution was not inevitable in the early years of World War II. So in terms of the plans of resettlement, we know that Eichmann tried to formulate the plan of sending Jews to Madagascar. However, it, was, it became apparent that the scheme would not be feasible. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode about the radicalisation of anti-Semitic policy. Next time, we're going to just further explore the policies towards Jews in the early years of World War II. If this episode has got you in the mood for more revision, then head over to SenecaLearning.com, where you can revise all of your A-level subjects absolutely free. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, then you will find a link in the bio. But if not, just type in SenecaLearning.com and you'll find us. While you're at it, if you could rate us five stars and subscribe or follow to all of our revised podcasts, which cover every subject you need, then that will help other people to find our podcasts.